0: Welcome to Radio 5G, where we sort fact from fiction, conspiracy from falsehood, reality from the unknown, and by doing so, we change the collective consciousness of humanity. A production of CosmicReality.com. Welcome to Radio 5G Other Voices. This is a pre-recorded show airing May 10th, 2023, where we will be talking about the universe as a living being. We started Radio 5G in February 2019, focused on an extraordinary 3D danger called 5G technology. Events of the day have brought us to a very different reality that is very much a battle of a spiritual nature. In a recent interview... The dark journalist Daniel Litz and Dr. Joseph Farrell bring out the concept that 99% of all that is, is plasma, and plasma shows the markings of what defines a living being. Yesterday on the Shungite Reality Show, Mark Joseph, Walt Silva, Derek Condit, and myself discussed this concept of existing in a living, not a mechanical, universe. We will finish the show with that clip. If nothing else, I suspect this show will make you think of life in a different way. Hope you enjoy it, and thank you for listening.
1: Hello everyone, this is Dark Journalist. Tonight I have a special interview for you with Oxford scholar Dr. Joseph Farrell. Dr. Farrell's Giza Death Star book series, which investigates the true age of the Great Pyramid in Egypt and its function as an advanced technology infrastructure of a lost civilization, has been widely influential. Now he's released the new book, Giza Death Star Revisited, which reveals the rediscovery of this ancient technology by inventor Nikola Tesla. Truth is Stranger Than Fiction. Please join us now. Joseph, it's great to have you back. And I have the, the book. I've been getting into the book. It's fantastic. I want to launch into the whole thing.
2: The Wizard and, of Oz? What are we talking
1: about here? <laughs> well, in a sense, yes. It's the Giza Death Star. Oh, okay. It. Okay. Wonderful book. <laughs> uh, right. And thank you for sending it to me because I was able to glean so much out of it. I'm going to go through it and read it all again, but I gathered a series of questions for us to go over for it. Okay. Um, before we launch into it, I just mm-hmm. wanted to run this one thing about the John Trump scenario uh, again. Mm -hmm. do you think it's possible because i've re-explored i went through a lot of the footage of john trump talking and one of the things i caught which i'd never caught before was that he said well one of the unusual things i found among the papers were letters to the czar and letters saying to the czar i can help you to build this weapon to defend yourself and presumably the idea was against hitler but the dates are all wrong
2: how weird
1: yeah so here uh you know he, he also said he ran across these letters to the king of england but here he was talking about this kind of death ray protection yes. weapon but trump said it was specifically to the czars So
2: I'm not surprised. Okay, I'm not surprised at that for a very simple reason. Um, Tesla, if you if you go back and look at his um, little op-ed pieces that he would occasionally write for the New York Times, or for that matter, uh, there were people that would publish these little articles in the New York Times about Tesla's latest invention. It was after um JP Morgan pulled the financial plug on his Wardenclyffe, you know, wireless power project. And then Tesla was sued in New York court in 1915 uh by one of the other financial backers of of the Wardenclyffe scheme. And that's where Tesla actually uh you can go and read the New York Trial transcripts. In fact, I have some of those trial transcripts in Babylon's Banksters where you can read the exchange going on where Tesla is outlining for the court how that system would have worked. Okay. It's in those, it's in those trial transcripts where Tesla says, I had to have this apparatus get a grip on the earth in order for it to shake or make the earth quiver yeah that it's in that trial transcript where that famous quotation occurs. You reproduce that in the book. I reproduce that in this book as well, yes, but it first appeared in Babylon's Banksters Donna. Um because i've been trying you know I've been trying to let out clues for people to follow, and no one's following Anyway <laughs> 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 um. After Morgan shuts him down, it's very interesting to see what Tesla starts to do. Because World War I, by that point, of course, is raging in Europe. And Tesla begins to write these articles or have, make statements, and then the press comes and interviews him about the use of this system as a weapon. That's when he first starts disclosing that possibility for its use And he does in fact Offer it to the U.S. Army They turn him down Although I think they turn part of him down That's another part of the story
1: So you might be taking us around 1910
2: Yeah Yes Yeah, absolutely It it would be in that time frame That Trump is talking about mm-hmm. um, He offers it to England And he offers it to Russia In other words, he's offering it to everybody but the central powers. Ah. And I think, again, the reason why is that Tesla grew up uh, as the son of a Serbian Orthodox priest, but in the Austro-Hungarian part of Serbia at the time. Uh, So in other words, you know, he has no love lost for the Habsburg monarchy.
3: Mm. Uh,
2: But I think I think it's clear that because Morgan pulls the plug, that's when you start to see Tesla come clean and say, this can be used as a very powerful weapon. Ah. And people need to remember that. And this ultimately, I think, is why Morgan does pull the plug. Mm -hmm. Because I think Morgan, uh, you know, the story I've never bought, that Morgan pulls the plug because he couldn't meter the system. Mm-hmm. which I think is BS. If Morgan's concern is to make money, he stood to make beaucoup amounts of money off the royalties of appliances using that system. Right. So, you know, this this has never been an explanation that made much sense. What I think happened is that somebody in Tesla's entourage of technicians and scientists, probably somebody like Charles Steinmetz or somebody like that, that was familiar enough with Tesla's research, having worked with him for so long, that went to Morgan and told him, hey, this system can be used, you know, for a lot more than just beaming wireless power around the world, uh, you know, and Tesla's on record as, you know, this system can split the earth. Well, you know, we well, don't yeah. want
1: that, <laughs> you know incredible things that he says about it, but this is fascinating because you think that JP Morgan took it off the market as it were and continued on with it underground. Uh,
2: Well, at least he took it off the market. I think, I think the other part of the problem that, and I've, I've, I've been maintaining this since Babylon's Banksters, because if you read that book very carefully, the thing I, I point out there is that at that time, you're dealing with a system that's relatively easy to engineer. Anybody with some competency at that period of time in electrical engineering, Steinmetz, you know, people like that, uh, could have engineered that system as a weapon. And the powers that be have no way to control the per- proliferation of it. This is a relatively simple system and a relatively inexpensive system. To build, Mm. so you know we can't we can't have the Hottentots in Africa building this dang thing or we're in trouble. You know that's that's the way they're going to be thinking. Uh, or for that matter, we can't have the Germans or the Austro-Hungarians or God forbid the Ottoman Turks, you know, (laughs) or whoever, (laughs) right? Yeah, you know, building this dang thing. So Morgan, you know, the other part of this is very interesting, at least to me, is that uh the late Lieutenant Colonel Tom Bearden always maintained in his published writings that the Lorentz transformations, which are a set of uh, equations that the Dutch physicist Henrik Lorentz devised, uh, were the creation, so to speak, the accounting trick that J.P. Morgan forced Lorentz to come up with to divert attention away from Tesla's system. Now, the reason that that's significant is that Bearden didn't make any comment like that without having some basis for doing so. Although I've never been able to find anywhere in the literature any corroboration of it, so you know, uh-huh. here's Bearden making this very strange statement. But the reason that's so significant is, of course, the Lorentz transforms form the core argument. Of Einstein's special relativity, right? That's you know that's just how important these this set of equations are. So, um, you know, who knows what's going on here? But, but Bearden's point, and I think your point is that at some point Tesla was on to something with this system, mm-hmm. and it had to be covered up, right? And this there's a part of this system that I, I hope people caught when they read the book, because in the book, I point out that Tesla this when he's doing his Colorado Springs experiments, Tesla is trying to calculate the velocity of these electroacoustic pulses that he's creating with this apparatus. Mm-hmm. And he calculates the velocity of this pulse to be pi divided by two times the velocity of light. In mm-hmm. other words, he's calculating the velocity of these pulses to exceed that of the velocity of light.
1: Interesting.
2: And incidentally, if you're paying attention, that ratio of pi divided by two is exactly the ratio of the height to the width of the Great Pyramid. Oh, wow. So in other words, what I'm trying to get people to clue in here is that that structure is built as a precise incorporation of a length-to-mass conversion factor that Tesla himself
1: discovers. Fascinating.
2: Um, So along comes Einstein with special relativity, and says, no, no, no. Velocity of light is the upper speed limit of, you know, we can't go faster than that, folks. Well, yeah, this is the problem. We've, we've been dealing with Einstein ever since. Right. Uh, and therefore, if you have that dogma, you, throw, you tend to throw out anything that Tesla says. Yeah. Who is, incidentally, let it be pointed out, incidentally, saying these things as the, as the result of experiment and observation. Right let's remember this. yeah,
1: this is not just theoretical.
2: This is not just Einstein doing his thought experiments <laughs> right. and yeah. creating equations on it. No, this is not the same thing. This is actual science and experiment, so yeah, I think I think something about Tesla's system spooked the financial powers that be, and they did not want anybody investigating this system any further because they knew that it was a very potentially a very powerful, very dangerous system. And they didn't want a lot of Yahoos getting their hands on. Now, that said, there is an aspect of the system that I think was used because let's remember what Tesla did in that system. What he does is he inverted the normal circuit parameters of broadcast circuitry. In other words, a radio has an antenna, it broadcasts a signal, and the return loop in the circuit is what? It's the ground. It's the earth itself. Okay. And every electrical circuit has the ground as part of its circuit. Okay? Every, mm-hmm. every single one. So what Tesla does is he simply flips the whole circuit parameters so that the antenna of the system becomes the planet itself and the, the ground becomes the atmosphere. Oh, wow. So in his wireless system, what is actually beaming power to you is the Earth. Why? Well, he says in the trial transcript, I had to get a grip on the Earth in order to be able to make the earth quiver. In other words, he's actually modulating information into the signals he's putting into the earth. So, you know, that's, that's genuine radio if you're modulating a signal. Right. So, in other words, he's creating not only a broadcast power system, he's creating a communication system. Mm -hmm. Now, interestingly enough, most people don't know this. You really, really have to dig to find this out. But when General Pershing takes the American Expeditionary Force over to France, after this country enters the war, the Allies, the French and the British to a lesser extent the Belgium, are mystified as to why Pershing seems to be getting communications from Washington so quickly. Huh. And the reason is we put into play an, a, a very low-frequency Earth broadcast system before World War I. So in other words, we were using essentially a part of Tesla's concepts in that war to communicate directly from Washington to Europe without the use of transatlantic cables, without the use of telegraphy that the British could sneak in and listen in on. No, no, no. They were using a Tesla system. Most people don't realize that. Now, folks, it's very common now. With nuclear Mm -hmm. submarines and so on To use this type of system To to communicate with them Uh, But That's the proof of the pudding That the system works All that Tesla was wanting to do Was scale up the broadcast Power
3: Mm -hmm. Tremendously
2: Because remember the other thing about this system, Daniel Is if you have a sphere Imagine you've got a hollow sphere For a moment And you wrap the sphere A Helmholtz resonator Okay, And you wrap that sphere And it produces a tone mm-hmm. Well The tone itself is a sound wave Which is a wave of what? Compression and rarefaction
3: mm-hmm.
2: That spreads out over the surface Of the sphere And then contracts To the antipody on the opposite side Of where you hit it mm-hmm. And then spreads out again and comes back Okay, And it keeps doing that Until the wave dissipates Alright So in Tesla's system, what Tesla was planning to do, and the reason he said, oh, I can split the planet with this, is at the exact moment that that wave is reflected back, you pulse it again so that the whole process never damps. Uh Eventually, you're loading enough energy into this standing wave that, yeah, the planet cracks apart. It's got too much energy. It can't damp. Kaboom. It blows up.
1: Fascinating.
2: Yeah, that's a weapon, folks. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah it's like a planet that. destroyer, at, and it's on a one planet level. destroyer yeah. now. And <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, depending on how you configure the pulse, you can do that through interferometry, so that your pulse can start at any point on the surface of the planet, and it will reflect to the antipode and back. Wow, constantly. So this is a. Uh, system that demands that you have a grip of the earth and then secondly demands that you have enough mathematics to figure out how to configure that pulse so that it will start anywhere on the surface of the planet and end anywhere else on the surface of the planet and the way you do that is beam mixing interferometry that's how you do it fascinating it's it's a very easy simple idea this is why it's so dangerous. Forget about having to engineer hydrogen bombs, folks.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know. This is this is relatively easy. Yeah, you know? right. Um, that's interesting. And do you think then Tesla, the flip side of it is, you know, okay, on one side you can use it as a weapon mm-hmm. and split the earth. The flip side of it is perpetual energy. Sure yeah absolutely yeah Tesla himself
2: as he's if you if you look at the um, information that I include in the book, Tesla himself actually says that when you master these these vortices of nature and it's very interesting that he's already thinking in these terms, in other words, Tesla kind of makes this leap. <laughs> Past, past Einstein Right into quantum mechanics You know yes. Because you know He's he's just not interested in Albert Einstein And by the way you know For folks that are interested they did know each other And okay, Tesla yeah. had little use For Einstein's mathematics Yeah <laughs> go, go away you know Do something useful get a haircut But
1: <laughs> He thought it was completely secondary Like, Yeah
2: he did he yeah. did it. Um, And quite frankly, let's look at what the two men are interested in. Einstein's interested in gravity. Mm -hmm. Tesla's interested in electromagnetics. Right. So the focus of the two men are on entirely different forces and phenomena. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: But Tesla actually says this. By means of being able to control these vortices, humanity will be able to have cosmic power, and he goes on to say, "We can create or destroy entire worlds at will
3: and he's, he makes no
2: no apology and no holds barred as to the extent of of the power of the system he's talking about. It is truly cosmic in its in its scale, and he he pulls no punches, and
1: he's right mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. Wow, this is incredible. Um, when you think about that piece with Trump, John Trump reading mm-hmm. uh, in these papers that mm-hmm. Tesla had written, not to you know the modern World War II people about you mm-hmm. know uh, fighting against Hitler, but that he was saying, "I can help you develop this kind of death ray defense against mm-hmm. these people," but John Trump says. It's to the czars that he's saying it. What do you make of that now with the timeline that you're talking about? This all adds up.
2: I, I'm not surprised that, that he would also make it to the czars.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, Tesla's background is, is, is orthodox. His father was a priest. And at that time, people have to remember that even for someone like Tesla, who's, you know, an avowed agnostic, that cultural attraction and pull cannot be denied. And Russia, particularly the, Tsar, the during the Tsarist uh, period prior to World War I, and you see this happening again today, Russia assumed the role as the protector, the, the great power protector of Orthodox Christianity in Europe and the Middle East. That was the entire reason that Russia oh. was backing Serbia. It was the entire reason that in the late 19th century, Russia actually marched right to the gates of Constantinople
4: mm-hmm. before
2: the rest of Europe said, oh, no, no, no. You know, we can't, we can't let you in there and have that, <laughs> right. uh, which is what the Russians really wanted in that war. Uh, The Treaty of Saint-Sebastian presented them from getting it, 1888 or nine, somewhere around there. And it was Bismarck that that brokered that. Um, But again, you've got to understand Russia is acting in its role as the protector of those civilizations. And Tesla coming out of that kind of milieu with his own father being a clergyman is, you know, the czars are a natural place that you'd want to take and offer an invention. Oh yeah, and, you know, they've got the money to do it, you know, mm-hmm. and they've certainly got they've certainly got the scientific infrastructure and the scientists to do it as well. So, yeah, that doesn't surprise me.
1: Wow, incredible. And it's interesting too because in the middle of all this time period, you have the Tunguska yep, incident and this is either a gigantic meteorite Or it's the explosion of a weapon, or it's, you know, (laughs) an alien invasion. What on earth, you know, uh, when you think about Russia in relation to this Tesla thing about the weapon, is that a a hint or a clue that they were using this or trying it out?
2: Well, there are a lot of people, Daniel, that think that Tesla's system had something to do with Tunguska. Wow. Um, I'm not entirely convinced, but I'm also willing to consider it because. Of all the explanations of Tunguska out there, no one has come up with one that is that is plausible. You know, right. we have we have we even have people out there maintaining that it was uh, an antimatter matter reaction that you know caused that massive explosion.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, we have we have the nuclear people, we have the meteorite people, but each one of these things has some problem with it. Mm-hmm. I'm not aware that anybody has found enough radioactivity at oh. that site to explain it in terms yeah. of it would involve nuclear reactions. Well, okay, if it's not nuclear, then what kind of reaction was it? Mm-hmm. Um, an electroacoustic reaction could do the same thing if it were powerful enough. Oh, interesting. The, the problem is that the most eyewitness reports have this thing as an airburst Rather than as something that happened on the ground,
3: Mm -hmm. uh,
2: you can configure Tesla's system to get an airburst, certainly, but it would be more difficult. But again, you know, my point here is nobody has come up with an explanation for Tunguska. I'm not willing to discount Tesla um, providing a little demonstration to the very people he wants to give the system to. Um, and doing so in the middle of nowhere, where you know it's it's not likely that anybody is going to be hurt from the demonstration. Right. Um, so who knows?
1: Um, that is fascinating. Well, if it if it was not the Tesla system, what do you think is the best candidate for this kind of unexplained, inexplicable explosion in history that just wiped out a whole slice of Siberia? <laughs>
2: Um. Oh boy! Oh, I want to say so many things here. <laughs> I, I'm I'm having to bite my tongue, Daniel, because I'm waiting for that second book, oh. kind of the sequel to the Giza Death Star revision, yes. to come out. Because once it does, and once people really grab onto what is being said there, I think it will clear up a lot of stuff.
3: Uh.
2: But Um, Without having to get into that All I'll say is I think that the other Possible alternative That could explain something like that Would be a small Matter Antimatter reaction Where a Containment Suddenly broke down And Kablooey um, that kind of reaction would get you the kind of damage you see there. It would explain why there's not much residual radioactivity in that region and so on and so forth. Because remember, a, a matter antimatter reaction is a total annihilation reaction. Yeah. I mean, it, that's what it is. So you get lots of energy out of it, but, you know, radioactivity and all of this other stuff. Not so much like you know an efficient or fusion reaction, so I'm thinking that's probably the best other explanation um,
1: fascinating wow,
2: why the two might be related, people are just gonna have to wait
1: um,
3: <laughs> yeah
2: it, it might it might have been a demonstration from other things.
1: Interesting. Okay, so obviously, in traditional science, any ability, technical ability, to do that is decades out from. No,
2: I don't think so. I think, I think actually, um, what we may be seeing is aspects of science that became known and started to be experimented with in the very first days of electricity in other words michael faraday ben franklin you know all these people oh yeah that are doing experiments with electricity uh i think by i think by the time of the manhattan project you have people asking questions that are getting dangerously close one of them being david bohm oh right uh David Bohm is a very important figure because he was honest enough to say what was on everybody else's mind.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> uh but yeah, I think I think I think by the time of the Manhattan Project, uh you've you've got a bunch of scientists that realize oh, we we are just skimming the surface.
1: Wow, incredible.
2: I, I will give a hint to Oh, yeah. You. I, Bohm is the physicist, as you know, the famous quantum physicist that was involved in plasma research. Oh. And I've mentioned this in my books before. I have mentioned him again. Mm-hmm. I give out these little clues and people don't pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> Um, We've seen
1: that a few times. I <laughs> uh,
2: yes, um, I I did I did the cosmic war, which right. allowed me to to go as close as I dared at the time. And what did I do in the cosmic war? I talked about plasma cosmology. Throw out the big bang, folks.
1: Oh yeah.
2: Oh yeah. Why? What did Bohm say? What did he do? Well, Bohm noticed that plasmas behave very peculiarly.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: When he attempted for the Manhattan Project to insert electrical probes into a plasma to, to determine what was going on, what happened, the plasma built an electromagnetic sheath around the probe. Oh, Bohm's response was, oh, my God, it's acting like it's alive. Oh, wow. Why? Because the plasma responded exactly as your body or my body does to the introduction of a virus or a germ or a pathogen it walls it off
3: and Mm. creates a
2: membrane around it so that it does not enter or affect your body. That's exactly what plasmas do.
1: Fascinating.
2: And here's the bad news. He wasn't the only one noticing weird things happening in plasmas that resemble life. Now, I want you to stop and let that soak in. Hmm. Um, 99% of all matter in the universe is not solid, liquid, or gas. It's plasma. So, in other words, the physics that Albert Einstein, Isaac Newton, Euclid Galileo Copernicus and so on have been Doing is the physics of one Percent of the matter in the universe
3: Hmm. The
2: other 99% Is a very very Different matter And I'm deliberately Punning on all the Possible meanings of that word Now stop and remember Something else What's the ancient Egyptian religion tell you? It tells you that stars are alive. Oh, right. What are stars? They're big hot balls of plasma.
1: Right. Yes.
2: Uh Uh, Now, here's a big problem for you. I mentioned this in the book that we're waiting to be published. There's a lot more in that book, but I'm going to mention something else since I'm letting out clues. In May of 1999, Daniel, the solar wind from our sun stopped.
1: Oh, wow. Stopped. Turned off. For how long? Two days. (laughs) What on earth? Uh Uh-huh.
2: Now, what on earth indeed if if the sun is a big chained up hydrogen bomb?
1: Ah, right.
2: The fact that it stopped tells you something very significant about the sun. It's not a big chained up hydrogen bomb. That's just a little part of it. So what was going on during that two days, there's no solar wind and the sun is just shining like it always did. What's going on? What's Mm. happening? What's the source of energy? Go back to what I've been saying all along. When you detonate a nuclear bomb, energy is transduced from what? From the local configuration of space time. From the local system parameters That's where the energy is coming from What did Tesla say About his system The energy That you are getting out of those Electroacoustic impulses Is dependent upon the geometry Of the circuit and get this And the amount Of segmentation In that circuit Think Great Pyramid Here folks Yeah what is the Great Pyramid? Well, viewed in Tesla terms, it's a gigantic piezoelectric circuit with massive amounts of segmentation. The more segmentation, the more energy you get out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
1: That's yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, yeah,
1: yeah. This is interesting because um and this gets around actually to the this book, which is a new book, but there's a new book coming after this one. Right. This book ties up all the stuff that you were doing with right. the of Death Star book series. But you said there's stuff in here now and that I can read the things that you're adding, which right. you couldn't let out right. in that period because they were just they wouldn't have been
2: they, accepted. They were too. Yeah. The there is an epigraph in this book the Giza Death Star Revisited, that was in the original version of the Giza Death Star that I sent out to a different publisher other than Adventures Unlimited. And it's a little epigraph that I restored in this book. Wow. And the reason I restored it is that I had, as I write in the book, I had every intention of doing a webinar on my website about this little, the implication of this little epigraph. Mm -hmm. But I said, no, I'm going to write a second book about this thing because people need to understand what's going on right now mm-hmm. in in plasma physics they really need to get a clue here because Daniel I guarantee you it ties everything together cosmic war Giza death star um, even a, even a bit of patristics Wow uh, in fact quite a lot of patristics uh-huh but um, CERN
3: Uh, That, too.
2: Yeah, that, too, in a very weird way. Um, And it's all it's all based on on plasma and Mm -hmm. plasma physics, because that's what we're dealing with here. That's what we are dealing with. Um, You know, the Great Pyramid is nothing but a big crystal, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: if you stop and look at it. And it's, it's a crystal composed of gobs of other crystals. You know, from microscopic little quartz crystals embedded in the granite and limestone of the structure to the stones of the structure to the structure itself. So, you know, it's a massively redundant feedback set of feedback loops um, that are all dimensional analogs of each other. So there's more feedback loops. This, This thing was engineered to the nth degree. And in my opinion... You know, the way I want people to approach this book, Daniel, is it's, it's a briefing document. Mm-hmm. Because the, the weapon hypothesis is not my own. It's Zechariah Sitchin's. Right. And Sitchin spent a whole book writing about it from his understanding of, of ancient texts. He does not get into what he thinks made it work. That's where I pick up. Okay. How do, how do we, on the basis of present scientific knowledge, how can we account for that hypothesis? Um, well, in my opinion, there's two ways to do it, and both of them involve this electroacoustic impulse technology, Tesla, Townsend Brown, and people like this yes. that are experimenting with this stuff. Um, how do we, how do we account for, uh, it's missing components you know this is a very complex argument and part of it deals with what i think we're missing from the grand gallery inside the structure Mm -hmm. Um, i at the time i wrote the giza death star hypothesized about something i was calling phi crystals you know the greek letter phi right and and by using that, I was trying to clue people in that I'm thinking in terms of the fibonacci sequence and and a vorticular structure okay oh, yeah um and it I thought at the time Daniel that this was just totally flaky <laughs> <laughs> uh, i i you know i I was thinking, Farrell, you're absolutely nuts, <laughs> so you better take out that epigraph when you resubmit the book to to David Childress. And I did. I took the epigraph out, the, mm-hmm. the one that I restored in this book.
1: And that's, that's like 2003. When that's
2: 2003. Yeah. I'm talking about these phi crystals. Well, lo and behold, in this book, I point out that MIT, right in your neck of the woods, that scientists at MIT have come up with something that they call a photonic crystal.
3: Oh, yes,
2: that actually traps something that they're calling tired light inside hmm. the crystal, okay, and you, you'll have to read it in the book because I'm not saying this, they are mm-hmm. but at the time, I was saying, okay, I was thinking, if you could take light and and induce an index of refraction within a crystal to trap that light what would you have? Well, you'd have a mini-singularity.
1: Oh, right. Oh,
2: right. And that means, in turn, that you would have a crystal exerting an extraordinary amount of gravitational pull
3: Mm -hmm.
2: as, as a consequence of that. And the reason I was coming up with that is that when you read Sitchin's texts, it's very clear from the way he's interpreting the text that there is an extraordinary amount of gravitational pull being exercised by the pyramid on certain individuals described in the text.
1: Interesting.
2: Okay, so what would do that? Well, I'm thinking a very strange crystal could do that. Mm-hmm. Well, lo and behold, MIT, just a couple of years ago, has invented what they're calling a photonic crystal. Which their own scientists are describing as well. Imagine a gemstone that you're rotating fast enough that the light itself is being refracted entirely inside the crystal and cannot escape. Oh. You have, and this is their word, you would have a kind of singularity. Hmm. I'm thinking, okay, there we go. There's there's my five crystals, and I'm I was thinking, you know, give them. 3 or 400 years no it was only 20
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah wow so, so this know, this is a rediscovery of that ancient technology in fact in
2: my opinion yes yeah. in my opinion uh, i think i think i think the metamaterials research now is making possible things that that were i regarded at the time as as being the most speculative and outlandish part of the hypothesis mm hmm all right, so what's the restored epigraph? And I've I've been challenging people to spot it because I've let them know. I, I restored the epigraph. What's the epigraph? It's on page eighty three. Oh. And it's in that chapter that's titled The Paleography of Paleophysics, Ancient Texts, Ancient Wars, and the Origin of the Weapon Hypothesis. And once again, it's Zechariah Sitchin. Now, when you hear this epigraph, you'll know immediately why I had to take it out of of the original Giza Death Star. And I think you're going to clue in why I've restored it on the basis of my hints now. Okay. Quote, an Akkadian book of Job, entitled Ludlu Bel I Praise the Lord of Darkness, refers to, quote, the irresistible demon that has exited from the Acre, unquote, in a land, quote, across the horizon in the lower world, bracket, Africa, close bracket, end quote. Now, Acre, is the Akkadian word for a mountain, Hmm. or a ziggurat, or a pyramid. Uh, Oh. So in other words, Sitchin is referring to a text that says that there was a demon in a pyramid. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's doing that, he's that quotation appears in his book, The Wars of Gods and Men, in the context of a war fought for possession of the pyramid. Right. Right. Now throwing a demon into the mix complicates things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Yeah, this is a little different.
2: That's that. Yeah, that. So you know, that's the reason. I, I. Okay, enough is enough. I, I'm speculating wildly. Uh,
1: we're just here. Careful. You are. You're dealing with all these technical aspects. Yes. You're and now we're dealing with we the
2: stories. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, toil, toil, and bubble around the cauldron. <laughs> We're going to be like the witches at Macbeth (laughs) trying to figure out what the hell is going on here. Emphasis on hell here.
1: But but, But you you make an excellent point, which is a lot of the things that come down as sort of magical rites and spells seems like almost degraded versions of keeping the technology aspect alive.
2: Well, now, again, I, I restore some of that stuff in this second book. Okay. You notice in in this book, in Giza Death Star Revisited, I took all of that stuff out of the Giza Death Star. Yeah. It's not repeated here. The reason it was in the original Giza Death Star is, yeah, I did want to clue people in that there is an occult aspect to this. But, yeah. I, you know, I don't want to talk about it too much. So we're going to divert mm-hmm. your attention by pointing out, look at what these seals do. They look like electrical circuitry. Uh Diagrams. Well They're back in that second book That we're waiting for. Why? Because if you look at what Electricity is, what is it doing? It's a plasma. Oh, right. Oh, oh,
3: oh
2: (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So you're dealing I think, um Ultimately, with something that does make sense, but you have to approach it very carefully and you have to approach it yeah, you know, with the technical aspect. Once you get that down, then you throw the demon into the mix.
3: Mm.
2: And once you do, then things begin to make a lot of sense. Um, now, I am not saying here, folks. That this is metaphor. Mm
3: hmm.
2: I do think that scientists like Bohm are on to something when they're pointing out, hey, this stuff is behaving wildly and weirdly too much like life.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so, in thought, fact, it's, it's almost like a conjuring of an actual conscious being. Yes. What has Elon Musk
2: been warning us about AI?
1: Mm. Yeah. You see,
2: my point here is folks, we are we are no longer in the easy position of being able to deal with Victorian era materialism. Mm -hmm. We are dealing with the physics of the ninety-nine percent of the universe, of the universe. Yes. And we've barely made a scratch in our understanding of it. We do know that this stuff, remember what plasma is. It's a kind of um, it's a kind of matter that does not exist in atoms. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you're not even dealing with molecules of stuff. You can have uranium plasmas. It's just that the electrons and the nucleus of the uranium are not all together in an atom.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You're dealing with something very different and very weird. And within these Within these plasmas, you can have discrete regions which are, guess what, walled off from each other by membranes.
1: Oh, yeah, right. That's Uh, very much like a living system again. That's
2: very much like a living system again. And then on top of this, you go and you look at the plasma filaments that they've taken pictures of now in the universe. And then you compare it to neurons in a brain. And the resemblance is more than... Just, I defy anybody to tell me that there's not a, a qualitative resemblance that's off the chart.
1: Alternative being,
2: And, and that means that the ancient view of the universe is, as I've been trying to point out for several years now, as a an organism rather than mechanism...
3: Mm. is now
2: beginning to have a basis in actual science. It's the mechanism view of things that's outdated and
1: simplistic. That's the problem.
2: That's the problem.
1: And that's why we're kind of caught flat-footed with all this technology coming in and dealing with it in this mechanistic fashion and igniting all these spirits, in fact. Right, right, right.
2: What happens when we set off the A-bomb? What starts to show up in our skies? UFOs. UFOs. Oh yeah. Remember the space shuttle tether experiment? Yes. Have you seen the videos of all that stuff? Yes. That suddenly starts to show up, acting as if it's investigating. What the hell is that? And what are these monkeys doing?
1: <laughs> right.
2: Um, yeah. yeah, I think wow. I think we are living in a much more living universe and. When we set off the bomb, what we've done is we've just announced to (laughs) to all of that stuff that we're here and uh, they come and investigate. And incidentally, what is the bomb? Well, it's a plasma.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. And it's the central core. That's exactly what it
2: is. Right. Now, stop and think, Daniel. I've just told you about the sun and the solar wind. Having shut down for two days, and yet it's still it's still going.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So the chained up hydrogen bomb model is only a part of the picture here. Right, it's gating energy from the entire circuit. And what's the circuit? It's a plasma. Interesting. That explains what why I've been getting at all along that when you set off these bombs, you're gating energy into the reaction from the geometry, from the circuit parameters of local space. Yeah. Absolutely you are. Yeah. Absolutely you are. And if anybody's out there, that's going to grab their attention.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, this is so interesting because um, there's a guy in the 50s there. Wilhelm Reich. Ding ding ding. Okay. He gets absolutely obsessed with the idea that uh UFOs are plasma and that they yeah. are hiding out inside clouds. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. what's a thunderstorm cloud? It's a plasma.
1: Okay, yes. Absolutely right.
2: Yeah. What's lightning? It's a plasma. Yes. And for that matter, let's 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 just cut to the chase here. Why is that stuff called plasma to begin with well it's because an american nobel laureate chemist by the name of irving langmere looked at the stuff and said oh well this resembles life so
1: let's call it a plasma <laughs> <laughs> right. interesting
2: yeah okay. very interesting right. yeah you you exist i exist every living creature exists inside of a bioplasma cloud that's actually outside of our bodies and that is unique to us
3: Mm-hmm.
2: you know the COVID, give each other six feet well that 's what they 're talking about right you know um, so i i'm thinking that yeah we've had we've had physicists tesla Townsend Brown that have been playing with this electrical acoustic shockwave technology for a very, very long time mm-hmm. and and they've noticed that its behavior is wildly different than your standard liquid gas or, or solid matter, because you're dealing with something that is not going to, um, I I just, I just love Hannes Alfvén here. You know, Alfvén is kind of the father of plasma physics and a Nobel laureate for that matter. And Alfvén, you know, said that the confident predictions of of, of thermonuclear fusion as a source of energy uh, didn't come about because the plasmas, and these are his words, the plasmas stubbornly refused to believe in them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I have to wonder, why does this physicist choose the diction of active agency?
1: <laughs> yes.
3: Yeah.
2: On the part of what he's talking
1: about. Right, he's making it sound like it made a conscious choice. Yeah, precisely,
2: precisely. And um,
1: you, you mentioned TT Brown there.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, there's a couple of odd things about TT T. Brown. I I talked to members of his family and people who'd worked closely with him. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of things that are still, <laughs> hanging out there oh,
3: yeah.
1: about TT T. Brown that you know those experiments went deep, deep underground. Oh, they did. In fact, um, during one of his time experiments, Uh after he does it, he goes to his family and he says, we're taking off. We're going to Eleuthera Island. And they Uh hang out there with a lot of bodyguards Uh for a few months. Uh Um, And Rand Corporation is involved in all the rest. Uh One of the things that grabbed me there was this invention that disappeared quickly. Uh, which the family members talked to me about, called the acoustic fan. <laughs> yes. And the acoustic fan, one of the properties that it had when the person working on him with it uh, actually experienced the effects of this, which is it showed him the entire length of his life and the different things he was going to do. Uh, you know, it showed him a complete timeline of his life, it featured him out, as it were. And that during this process, when they were doing this, and the guy was pretty young when T.T. T. Brown was working with him, um, he said to him, "You know, do you believe in time travel? Uh, Brown said that to his assistant. And uh, he said, well, I, I, think, you know, I think it could be true. And he said, well, what would you do if you had this ability you know, to time travel? He said, I'd go back in time. And, and the guy's sister had died very young. He said, I'd go back in time and save her. And Brown said, well, that, that might not be allowed, but um, you're thinking you know, the right way about the idea that you could travel backwards and forwards in time. What do you think in relation to this and the things that you're talking about with Brown? How far did he get? And is that why his work was driven so far underground?
2: Well, I spent an equal amount of time in this book Going into Brown's work, as I do with Tesla. Yes. Um, for the reason that Brown himself is is also working with other aspects of these electroacoustic or electrogravitic, as he would have called it, impulses. Mm-hmm. And he's he's discovering the same things as Tesla. He's discovering that the circuit parameters... The dielectric constant, the inductance, the resistance—you know—all this stuff. He's discovering that that the circuit parameters are what are crucial to making the system work. That's number one. So, for someone working with those concepts, it's natural that Brown is going to think, "Okay, there's a time connection here." Mm-hmm. And let's let, let's shift this into the pyramid context once again. There's a whole branch of research on the Great Pyramid that I call Pyramid is Prophecy. Mm-hmm. You know, these people that view the structure as a kind of biblical, dispensationalist, evangelical Christian prophecy in stone. Now, that sounds like a wacky idea, and indeed it is. Mm-hmm. But... There is an interesting aspect of that idea in that you cannot view the Great Pyramid and its measures. And you cannot view any, and this is very important, you'll see the connection in a moment, you cannot view any measure of mass as anything more than a three-dimensional length-to-mass conversion function. So in other words, if I have a measure that's as long as my back scratcher here, and I call this a ferrule. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And I put this ferrule into a square cube along the three axes of space, length, width, and height. And I construct a container out of that length measure based on the cubing or the dimensional rotation into three dimensions, and then stuff it with a regular material of a known weight, and then measure that weight or mass in that container. I now have a I now have a unit of measure based on this conversion factor and a known substance, like water.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: That's what we do. That's our system of of mass measurements. It's nothing but a known length converted to a three-dimensional container, and then you put it with a regular material substance of a known specific weight. Mm-hmm. And you measure the weight. All right. Anytime you have a mass measurement, you are also dealing with time. Right. Because that whole thing is in a dynamic system that's constantly, slowly changing. So you're also measuring time anytime you have these types of of measuring systems. Now, in the pyramid case, I suspect... And I, I get into this in the book. You know, this is a very complex argument that I'm trying to make here. Mm-hmm. But I suspect that as a result of this, time itself is is a harmonic phenomenon. Uh-huh. As we know, how do you measure frequency? Well, so many so many beats or cycles per what? Per unit of time. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, time. If you if you really get down to it. Uh, you know, a four forty at the note A at four forty hertz per second cycles per second. That's a time measurement,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and it's also a measure of a a particular harmonic. So you cannot have. Here's my point: you cannot have a building like the Great Pyramid, which has so many, almost an infinite number of redundant multiples that are all harmonics of each other. In other words, multiples of two or divisors of two, Mm -hmm. multiples of three or divisors of three, and so on. You know, I'm a pipe organist. I recognize these numbers because they're on my stop jams on any pipe organ I play. (laughs) So, you know, okay, well, that's harmonics. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you're if you're dealing with a structure, Daniel, that's nothing but nested harmonics. What are you dealing with? You're dealing with a structure that is quintessentially, at its root and core, all about time. Mm. Once you've said that, and then once you get across the idea that this structure may have been able to produce an effect at a distance simply through tuning it to that target. That target can be anything in local space or time. Uh. In other words, it can have a retrocausative effect. Mm. It can have a pre-causative effect, or the effect that you've tuned in doesn't appear until later than the person turning the dials. Follow me? Yeah. So in other words, in other words, the, the whole thing is harmonics and time itself is a harmonic. What does that mean? It means that when Townsend Brown is asking his friend, do you believe in time travel? And his friend says, well, if, yeah, I, and I'm going to go back and fix my sister. And then Brown gives him a caution mm-hmm. that that may not be possible. What I suspect Daniel is because time is a harmonic and this is going to f- require people to really think and I mentioned this in the book so I'm not I'm not giving away anything that's not in the book right the the classic argument against time travel has been the so-called grandfather paradox that you and I cannot travel back and accidentally shoot our grandfather <laughs> Because exactly. if we did so, then we disappear or you know, and it causes all sorts of conundrums that we can't figure out right and on, and on and on it goes. All right. Now what I suspect is something very different. You and I, if we examine our uniqueness, mathematically, it's impossible that you or I should be here.
3: Uh. because
2: we are all products of a long chain of ancestors and genetics, and you know the genetics that lead to us, mm-hmm. Daniel Lister, Joseph P. Farrell. Mm-hmm. So the odds of us ever being here are microscopic, and that means each one of us individuals is absolutely a miracle in and of ourselves.
1: Incredible. Yeah.
2: Now, it also means that we have a problem of trying to explain what happens with the doppelganger or the twin. Mm-hmm. The, the doppelganger is a phenomenon that we've all encountered at some point in our lives of someone that looks like someone we know, but is no relation to them whatsoever. Yes. And the resemblance is so profound that it's not only physical, but in many cases can be a resemblance of personality. Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting thing about harmonics is that a harmonic does not have to be absolutely in tune to be a resonator of a fundamental. Mm -hmm. So my organ pipe, my four-foot-long organ pipe, can be a resonator of an eight-foot-long organ pipe. But what if it's only 3.98 feet long? rather than exactly four feet well it'll be slightly out of tune you may or may not be able to hear that it's out of tune but it will still be a close enough approximation to that eight foot fundamental at a close enough approximation to four feet to be an efficient resonator of that eight foot fundamental
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and i suspect that That time works this way that you need not have an exact copy of you to make a certain event a resonator or a harmonic of another event. I see. And now, what this means is something very interesting. The further back in time that we go to us, the more the possibility of paradox disappears because any number of factors could lead to us genetically or a close approximation thereof, follow me? To a doppelganger. So the further back we go, the more possible it is, which seems, at odds unless you start understanding things in this kind of weird harmonic way. Mm. It seems paradoxical. We want, we want to think of time travel as something more immediate to us, Mm -hmm. but I think it's exactly the opposite. Now, what this also means is that a very long lived individual such as we encounter in the Sumerian king's list or the Egyptian king's list, you know, these individuals that live thousands or if not (laughs) tens of thousands of years long, that it's going to be much more difficult to encounter them because precisely they have such long individual memory. So the longer the memory, the more difficult it becomes. In fact, the longer the memory, the more likely it is that you're dealing with an individual, rather than, um, you know, my my harmonic approach here is also kind of uh, a a diatribe against reincarnation, mm-hmm. because I I think reincarnation is more about the echoes of these harmonics than it is about an individual being repeated. Mm-hmm. It's the repetition here. You have to have an exact copy. Uh right. and as we know, even twins are not exact copies. Um, you know, right. they, they can be genetically identical, but personality wise, no. Oftentimes you're you're dealing with very diff- different personalities. So there's a lot of factors in this. But the basic idea of time as as a harmonic phenomenon, I think, kind of ties all these things together in a way that uh, begins to make sense. That that we avoid the time paradox, Mm -hmm. um, that we can understand that if we go back and kill our grandfather, that doesn't mean we're killing ourselves. It may mean that the person that is us turns out to be slightly different in some Mm weird way. Um, mm-hmm. on and on it goes but,
1: you know, it's uh, so unusual it is, it's fascinating when you get on that level of, of consideration, it, it brings me into the Casey readings and, oh when, yeah, big when you, time when you're dealing with the crystal part in this book, things really start to, like, I feel the whole explosion of the Atlantean story right underneath about to burst through yeah. the entire thing yeah Um. In his version of Atlantis, you have the 2 eye stone crystal, which they called the terrible crystal. They yeah. have a very interesting quote in the book with Ezekiel calling this oh, yeah. terrible crystal on top of this ship that he's seen
2: Yeah, and the interesting thing in Ezekiel is that the, the crystals described there, and I think, I think in Ezekiel you're actually giving – uh, kind of a little biblical reference to that part of, of esoteric Jewish tradition
1: mm-hmm. that
2: has always said that space is a crystal. Uh, most people don't know that, but that's, that's wow. actually part yes. of, of Jewish right.
1: occult thinking. Fascinating. Yeah. So you're getting
2: a little glimpse of it in Ezekiel. But the interesting thing in Ezekiel, is that you not only have this reference to the terrible crystal but it's occurring in an overall context that's talking about lucifer and lucifer's ephod or breastplate i'm wearing my it's a weapon t-shirt by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's it's occurring in a context where this crystal is being talked about in reference to lucifer and again What's what's Ezekiel describe about Lucifer? Thy tabrets and pipes were made perfect in thee. Mm. What's a tablet? Well, it's just an old English term for a membrane.
1: Oh right, right.
2: <laughs> yeah. What, a pipe, well a pipe is a tube. <laughs> you
1: know? It's a so, weird that's a weird description. If anything. It's a
2: weird description. You're you're either describing an organism
1: mm-hmm.
2: or a machine. And here it comes or a plasma. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now it gets even weirder, and I point this out in the second book, but but Lucifer has an ephod in the book of Ezekiel. He has a breastplate.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But if you read about Lucifer's breastplate, it's missing an entire row of what's on the Hebrew high
1: priest's breastplate. The Urim and Thummim.
2: It, well, the, the Urim and Thummim are not the ephod. It's, they're not the breastplate. They're mm-hmm. above the breastplate. Okay. The high priest's breastplate consists of 12 gemstones, arranged in four rows of three gemstones each, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Got it. And the way Ezekiel refers, or pardon me, the Old Testament refers to these gemstones is that they are engraved with the names of the patriarchs of the 12 tribes. In other words, the sons of Jacob. Right. And the... the engraving is described in such a way to make it very clear that you're dealing with a kind of signet ring in other words it has to deal with governance
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know uh, in the western church a clergyman particularly a bishop will wear a signet ring the pope wears a signet ring that's a symbol of his authority and oftentimes the ring has a little seal that you know mm-hmm. they use to seal wax documents so in other words you're you're dealing with a A clear symbolism of governance So Lucifer's ephod Lacks three of those It's very interesting When you read what they are
3: It's very very
1: interesting
2: But in other words The the whole idea being communicated Is that Lucifer's ephod Is part of his governance right. Uh, So in other words All of this is connected Mm-hmm. The idea of crystal, the idea of governance, the idea of of uh, a power specific mm-hmm. to that crystal, um, the idea of plasma. This is all very, very highly interconnected. And with Casey, getting back to your point here, with Casey, I think you're you're dealing with somebody who's who's you know kind of. Um, a proto remote viewer Mm -hmm. because if you look at the way his readings are structured he's being given a specific question like a remote viewer is given a specific question or a specific coordinate and then he simply looks at it and describes what he's seeing so in other words i think you're dealing with casey with kind of uh a prototypical remote viewer mm-hmm. who's following all the protocols, even though he doesn't know that he is. Right. And he's he's giving these descriptions on on what he's seeing.
1: Fascinating. Absolutely. And that's I think the correlation. Yeah. yeah, that's
2: the correlation. And I think he's. I think he's. Um, you know, some of his descriptions, you can kind of tell he's grasping for the words.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But. That means some of the descriptions may or may not be quite accurate, but they're, they're here's the word again, they're close harmonics of it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: In other words, I think he's seeing something very genuine when he's talking about these Atlantean, uh, Atlantean crystals, because they are there in almost all the world's lore about ancient civilizations. The right. Vedas are full of references to crystals. Yeah, uh, you know the the Old Testament, Jewish lore, all of this stuff is talking. Where's this coming from, and why mm-hmm. is it there? I suspect that if my my speculation about the pyramid is true, and that it had these meta crystals inside the structure, here's another thing for you: a crystal is grown. And grows as a response to the local space-time Gravitic conditions in which they grow Mm -hmm. Okay, This is why crystals grown in the zero gravity of space Have fewer defects than crystals grown on Earth
1: Interesting
2: What this implies Is that Under certain conditions If you had an adequate enough science of the lattice structure of crystals and their defects, you could read those defects and interpret the conditions in which that crystal was grown. In other words, the crystal is almost a biography Oh. Of the geometry of the spatial conditions this, and I temporal see. condition, And that means something very interesting. That means that the older the crystal is, the more, what, memory it has.
1: Interesting. And right. the
2: closer it is to those original conditions of the cosmos. Ah. And this is why, again, all of those esoteric traditions stress The foundation stone of the world, Mm -hmm. the Kaaba in Islam, the Sapphire of Solomon, and so on and so forth. All of these things are suggesting that they knew that there were certain crystals that would be kind of memories of the Mm -hmm. history of creation or a lot of it. And that they're Mm -hmm. very, very old. Remember those crystals in the Cosmic War, in the Epic of Ninerda, that cannot be destroyed. Right. And they're hidden away. Well, one reason I think that they are incapable of being destroyed and hidden away is that they're extremely old.
3: Mm. And
2: they're a record of those primordial conditions. And therefore, being lower order derivatives, they're much more powerful in their effect. We're back to time harmonics again. Interesting. Yeah, this is this is all interrelated, folks, um, and
1: wildly speculative.
2: <laughs> I want oh yeah. Well,
1: <laughs> what's fascinating about it, though, the crystal part—it seems to me, like you're saying, the core of so many of these systems go back to the crystal.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the Casey piece to kind of wind this around,
3: mm-hmm.
1: because I see a lot of. Correlations with what he says, oh, yeah. with what you're saying about the Giza Death Star. Here's the interesting part. He talks about, of course, we know the traditional dating of the pyramids 2500 BC, <laughs> and uh, you know, you show in the book that basically, you know, the the dating around that is is made up. Oh yeah, and Absolutely. the British have a, a heavy hand.
2: Oh yes,
1: that. yeah. <laughs> you
2: think <laughs> <laughs> the pyramid? You know, here's here's the problem. And Herodotus, God bless him, is <laughs> right in the thick of it. And and you just know, you just know he was writing this down with a grin on his face. Mm-hmm. Because Herodotus tells you that uh, they spent an enormous amount of money on radishes, onion, and garlic to, <laughs> to, to, to feed all the people that built this <laughs> and you just know he was laughing (laughs) but anyway he also says that they were they built the stones put put the casing stones on the pyramid from the top down
1: (laughs) wow oh
2: wow i think what he's getting at there and what what um what others have noticed you know they have radiocarbon dated the mortar. There's a very, very thin layer of mortar between the stones of the Great Pyramid. Yes. Uh, it, it's, almost, it, it's almost paper thin. It's a, it's a ridiculously thin little layer. Um, but they've they've carbon dated the mortar from the top and the bottom of the pyramid. And the problem is, is that the mortar at the top, by carbon dating, is older than the mortar at the bottom. Oh. So, yeah, top down. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: Fascinating.
2: Well, it, <laughs> yeah. it's explainable if there's a radioactive source inside the pyramid. Because all those internal chambers of the Great Pyramid are much closer to the bottom of the pyramid than to the top. So any radiation affecting the mortar is going to the mortar at the bottom is going to be more affected than the mortar at the top, and therefore carbon dating it is going to give you a, a skewed reading to begin with. Um, and yes. add to that the fact that the, the stones being quarried, and this was Herodotus's point, the stones being quarried if they're going to be quarried from the same place, the stones at the top as you're building this structure up the stones at the top are going to come from a deeper layer of the quarry and then hence be geologically older than
1: you know, the stones at the bottom. So, yeah, <laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah, it is
2: interesting. But yeah, the structure, the structure makes no sense from the Egyptological point of view because even the carbon dating, the youngest that they can get it to is about 500 years before dynastic Egypt. Mm-hmm. So, folks, this means that half a millennium before Khufu is even a, a glint in dynastic Egypt's eye, someone <laughs> built that dang thing, yeah. and it wasn't anything to do with dynastic Egypt.
1: Yes, absolutely not.
2: Absolutely not.
1: No. <laughs> it's it's a um, it's interesting because in the Casey story, the weird thing that he says he's he's placing the construction of ten thousand five hundred BC. Yes. So we got 8,000 years of difference there. But he says, well, the reason they chose the site was they were doing archaeology. Right. So this is a very, very ancient site.
2: Well, Casey's reading here is interesting because Casey is actually kind of uh, repeating what the Egyptian Edfu temple texts tell you about (laughs) the, the Giza compound. Because again, they will tell you that. The current site of Giza is the second layer of construction at that site. The original layer was destroyed, by the way, in a war. Oh. And then they came along and rebuilt over there.
3: Uh huh. So
2: Casey, again, is not saying anything that the Egyptian texts themselves don't say.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I highly doubt. Uh, in fact, I'm I'm ninety nine point ninety nine percent certain that Edgar Casey had absolutely no knowledge whatsoever of the Edfu Temple texts, nor absolutely had, right. you know, nor had ever read them. You know, no, <laughs> no, so he's seeing the same thing. Mm. And here's the interesting thing: since Casey is saying, well, the pyramid was built circa ten thousand five hundred B.C., in other words, just prior to to the flood
3: uh-huh.
2: by by many people's dates. Uh I'm not entirely convinced of it, but uh-huh. but nonetheless <coughs> he's saying that the pyramid was built before the flood. Uh-huh. Well in, in this revision of the pyramid book, one of the epigraphs that I put into it was precisely the epigraph of of the Arab tradition referring to the Persians who had a tradition that you could see the flood line on the pyramids, the two big pyramids of Egypt, about halfway up the structure.
1: Interesting.
2: So in other words, there is a tradition from that part of the world that those structures are older than the flood.
1: Incredible.
2: Now, if they're older than the flood folks, Egyptians didn't build them. These are not the product of dynastic Egypt. Um, right. And, and that's actually my, my position.
1: Joseph, just unbelievable information and insight. Stay right there and we'll record part two for darkjournalist.com subscribers and go deep on the Casey Two-Eye Stone research, Hermes, and the Tesla Osiris connection to all this. The new book, Giza Death Star Revisited, is available at GizaDeathStar.com and it's a full update of the original, as Joseph said, with a new added chapter that the world may finally be ready for. Ready for it.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that audio. Um, Dr. Farrell is an incredibly dedicated researcher. He's done so much, you can just see from this one clip. And the Dark Journalist does amazing work. So if you're not familiar with him, just look it up. Dark, All well, there's gonna be a link below to that program. And just put in Joseph Farrell He's got a lot of videos out with a lot of different people. The Shungite show actually was yes, well, well, yesterday. And it it's on from noon to 2 p.m. Eastern time every Tuesday. That show for those that don't I, mean, I can't imagine too many of you don't know that Shungite is uh, something that I came across in 2014, and then I met Walt Silva and then Derek Condon and Mark Joseph and, but it's Shungite that is made such a difference in everything as far as I'm concerned. So, this next clip does come from the Shungite show, and Derek, who owns Mystical Ware, is the company that actually is sponsoring all of this radio. He is. The, the number one place you want to go for Shanghai without without a doubt. But he, he wanted us to stay on track with, with you know basically Shanghai reality being Shanghai. But we've expanded. We're expanded into a concept of science called enterology. And we have been working on this for many, many years, talking about it, talking it up. And so it's, it just makes sense to me that we take this clip from yesterday's show and that was predicated on, on the fact that it's a living universe. Because Shungite makes it even that more obvious that it is a living universe. So this is going to be a, a, an example of some of the things we get into in the Shungite show. There's no way that you can just keep yourself on one track. Radio 5G was set up to promote understanding of, like I say, a 3D material problem. But shungite and enterology is a study of the universe as an energy field, and how do how does it work? How does it how does how do we work within it? So I couldn't think of any better. Place to look for a way to finish off this show than to uh, use this clip. So I hope you enjoy this clip. I hope it gives you more information on Shungite. If you don't know what Shungite is, all you have to do is listen to some of our shows, listen to the Shungite shows. There's links below for more and more information And there's so much that mystical wares can give you as far as, let's say, the new science of enterology, which is the old science, and it's really a combination of quantum physics and metaphysics. But if you want to participate in this new energy universe and understand that it is dominated by the most powerful forces of love, your emotions but love in particular being the most powerful and also our understanding that everything is energy and it's all linked together it's a fascinating look at reality and I hope you will you know at least pursue some more information because Shanghai's gonna help you get through the hurdles of going from the old reality into the new reality And we're pretty near there, but Shanghai will make it so much easier. So I hope you get a feeling for what we do on the Shanghai Show, and maybe you'll join us there. It's all in the archives. But um, I just thank you so much for participating because you are energy bodies. You're energy beings. You know, your participation in just listening to the shows and thinking about what we present makes a change in everything. Appreciate you guys. Here we go, Shungite Show. Um. Okay, so Mark sent me a video, YouTube, from a dark journalist talking to uh, Farrell, uh, Joseph Farrell, and to put up on Radio Five G. So I listened to this thing, and I mean, i have now I've listened to it three times because it was so full of. Confirming information, I would say. Um and the one that I'm gonna play right now, I want to play this for you, and then we're gonna talk about it because it it relates directly to Shanghai. Okay. So I'm gonna go and it's only it's uh just under five minutes. So just just take that five minutes and listen to it.
2: What we may be seeing is aspects of science that became known and started to be experimented with in the very first days of electricity. In other words, Michael Faraday, Ben Franklin, you know, all these people oh, yeah. that are doing experiments with electricity. Uh, I think by I think by the time of the Manhattan Project, you have people asking questions that are getting dangerously close one of them being david bohm
1: oh right
2: uh david bohm is a very important figure because he was honest enough to say what was on everybody else's mind (laughs) 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 we'll just leave it at that (laughs) uh but yeah i think i think I think by the time of the Manhattan Project, uh, you've you've got a bunch of scientists that realize, oh, we we are just skimming the surface. Wow, incredible! I, I will give a hint to. Oh you. yeah, I, Bohm is the physicist, as you know, the famous quantum physicist that was involved in plasma research. Oh. And I've mentioned this in my books before. I have mentioned him again. Mm-hmm. I give out these little clues and people don't pay attention.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We've um, seen that a few
2: times. I, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, I, I, did, I did the cosmic war,
3: which right.
2: allowed me to to go as close as I dared at the time. And what did I do in the Cosmic War? I talked about plasma cosmology. Throw out the Big Bang, folks.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Why? What did Bohm say? What did he do? Well, Bohm noticed that plasmas behave very peculiarly. Mm Mm-hmm. When he attempted for the Manhattan Project to insert electrical probes into a plasma to to determine what was going on, what happened? The plasma built an electromagnetic sheath around the probe. Oh. Bohm's response was Oh my God. It's acting like. It's alive. Oh,
3: wow. Wow.
2: Why? Because the plasma responded exactly as your body or my body does to the introduction of a virus or a germ or a pathogen. It walls it off. And Mm. creates a membrane around it so that it does not enter or affect your body. That's exactly what plasmas do.
1: Awesome.
2: and here's the bad news he wasn't the only one noticing weird things happening in plasmas that resemble life now i want you to stop and let that soak in mm. um 99% of all matter in the universe is not solid, liquid, or gas. It's plasma. So in other words, the physics that Albert Einstein, Isaac Newton, Euclid, Galileo, Copernicus, and so on, have been doing, is the physics of 1% of the matter in the universe.
3: Hmm. The
2: other 99% is a very, very different matter, and I'm, Deliberately punning on all the possible meanings of that word. Now stop and remember something else. What's the ancient Egyptian religion tell you? It tells you that stars are alive. Oh, right. What are stars? They're big, hot balls of plasma.
0: Okay, as soon as I heard this particular part of his presentation, it made me think of what I called very soon after I started looking at it the plasma ball that hitched sh- the shungite field in February uh, 21st of 2020. Now, I just put up in chat a promo for the show, one of the sh- first shows that we did uh, regarding the Plasma ball, because it was videotaped from a security camera. And you can see that it, they initially were calling it a meteorite, but it's not because there's no tail. It's a big ball of blue light. And then it goes over and right over the shungite field. And I know this for a fact, it exploded. Um, I know it because we have people that are right there in Shunga, this village, well, it's more like a city, not a town, of Shunga. They're right there. And it took three days for them to get back to us that, yes, it actually exploded right over the Shanghai field. Doesn't it make you think of a miniature Tunguska event? Yes, but no, no, not at all. Not at all, really. Um, but the fact that you have a interpretation by Farrell, which absolutely would jive with what I feel and think, um, that you go, okay, so what was in this plasma ball? What was this energy that hit the Shungite? That as soon as it hit the field, we could detect a massive change in the output of energies from shungite worldwide immediately after it was hit what what happened what was the what was that energy and now we're getting an idea of what it is because it was some kind of a live substance that okay i'm a remote viewer and when this happened i did remote view it unfortunately the way that i set it up i was actually under the uh, explosion. So I got there to see it. I, I said, "Show me where it hit or exploded." You know, and boom, I'm there. And all of a sudden, there's all this blue plasma. It was like drops of plasma that were coming down and hitting the shungite bed. And the, you know, in this area that I was in, the shungite is just laying on the top of the ground, and it w- it was hitting it, but. You know, let's say you've got a, a drop of, of water, okay, and you hit something. Well, the water should, you know, kind of disperse over the rock and just, you know, type of thing. But that's not what it was doing. Um, it was just kind of like, and it wasn't landing like it was landing hard. It was like uh, like, I, 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 like I see the silver imbuing the, the Shungite. It was the same sort of thing because I kept saying, Gosh, look around for some blue blue crystalline stuff that just happens to be there, but I realized after thinking about it and then going and taking another look, it wasn't it, you couldn't find the blue sitting on top of it because it would hit the shungite and it would like permeate through the shungite so this puts a whole new twist on where we are with Shanghai and its effects because the date is so important it was 21 february 2020 within 10 days they started locking us down because of this covid thing and it also is uh a perfect representation of what the hopis were calling the blue star kachina and they said that when you see the the celestial the blue blue Light or blue—I think they said blue star. The blue star in the heavens, coming from the heavens, something to that effect, out of the heavens. Um, it marks the, the uh, end of the old age and the beginning of the new age. And ten days later, the old reality was gone, never to come back. So I just wanted to to throw this out there, you guys, and you know, get your intuitions and your, you know. 3d very educated minds to tell me what you guys are thinking well that light is obviously a living being
4: and the living being f- found the best vehicle a- around which is the body of shungite because with the fullerines it's uh the the amount of stuff you can put in shungite is unlimited there's no there's no limit to all that because because of the fullering because of that structure so it, it knew where it was going. It knew what it was going to do. So it is a living being. Aren't we ourselves plasma beings? I mean, once we get past the physical, and, uh, and Derek can back me up or can refute me because he has the capability of seeing and feeling energies. Okay, we we are possessed of a physical matter-made body, but that's just one of the 12 bodies in the, in the different layers Of embodiment that we have because you have the etheric body you have the astral body you have the spiritual body so these are layers of different densities of plasma so
5: that's that's interesting (laughs) you brought that up walt um because i I agree of course and what i was going to point out is in the bottom left image for those that get a view of this, and I'll describe it. But Nancy shared an image in the chat room, which is why it's wise to always go in the live chat when you can and listen to these podcasts. Um, one, two, three, four. Image four, bottom left. Look at the blue plasma ball. Doesn't it resemble the the reflection? I don't know, the hue of a Merkaba. Yeah. Okay, yeah, an energy container, just like a C60 molecule holds in, in my way of terming things certain frequencies not everything just gets to do that you have to be aware of it so i was looking at those images when she shared it back let me bring it up again now um, But yeah if you zoom in everybody and you can look at this later it's shared online too but if you see in there you see the whole merkaba or merkaba depending on how you want to um enunciate it uh kind of floating there in the sky and uh, i agree with both of you um as far as um you know you can loosely call it an entity but really a a a group that would come in to activate, and but I'll tell you, it just yes, the Shungai got activated, but it's one of those energy tools that the user needs to be aware of. So it's a Swiss Army knife, not just you know a pocket knife sort of thing. And I mean knife in the in the sense of tool. Um, it's not a weapon. So and then it, so it gave it more options for those that realize, hey, there might be a toothpick in this knife, or you know, um, weird analogy, but there's more um, to it now.
0: Uh, which is a whole activation thing. So, yeah, we were... I'll, Go ahead. I'll take, it, I'll take it a little farther, okay? Because I think that... it that We've talked about the sentience of Shungite. Well, I think it was an upgrade in the sentience, the, the cosmic knowledge that's in Shungite. I think it's increased exponentially. Because if, if this is what they're saying, is that this is a, a, a plasma ball, your consciousness is, 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 is contained within the plasma ball. He goes into, I put the link up. I recommend everybody, I mean, I've listened to it three times and I'm going to listen to it again. Because he does, he, he's, a, he's a hint dropper. And when he gets into it, he's talking more and more about different, let's say, uh, examples of the sentience of plasma. And I agree with what Walt said and what you agreed to is that, you know, we are, I mean, what's the difference between a toroidal field and a plasma ball? Isn't it the way we're looking at it? Hmm. Isn't it all plasma? Is the quantum field a plasma ball? Are we living in some live organism that just, you know, in 2020 sent us another version of itself that... Upgraded this, the, the, the Shanghai unbelievably and everything else because this this color here that we're talking about that you pointed out is the same one that was on the uh, claw of Rosie, the dragon, you know, the, the 3D dragon that you made. Uh, um, the 3D oh, printer. That's right. that's right. You remember that picture? I guess, I guess I saw that
5: dragon yesterday. It's odd to even mention that synchronicities.
0: Well, Rosie's sitting here on top of the Ho'oponopono resonator from Walt, which is interesting because that's in the picture too. Um, she's sitting up there, and I I I say this that 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 combination is like the most influential energy device I have in this house, and this this whole yard is an energy device. And but again, there's that blue associated with it. So, yeah, um, I I just think that um, I, I think that that it was much more of an event than even I
6: understood at the time. Mark, what are you thinking? Is he here? Let me get to the mute. Yeah, yeah. Um, So there, I I was gonna try to find the reference, but Robert Temple, the guy who wrote about the Sphinx and the uh, Dogon tribe from decade decades back, um, he wrote something about, um, and Waltz talked about this in the other shows. Cause uh, plasma clouds living sort of in between space and uh, here, being alive like. some kind of
4: uh, um oh, you are talking about the silvs the living beings yeah, that it. live in the atmosphere yeah those are plasma beings
6: okay let me put the link in the chat later or in a bit and then like cuz he's he's this is a new book he's been promoting in a bunch of podcasts and um um yeah just just connecting it to that and um so the the the, the Dr. Farrell um clip the new book is out as far as the three pyramid books into one, the revisited book. But the new book he keeps talking about that's coming up is going to be out in August at uh, Adventures Unlimited Press. Um, but that just goes back to how what you guys talk about in the other show of of uh, consciousness creating the universe, the self-aware universe kind of thing, and um, that we're all pieces of source. And then Alex Collier, of course, covered that uh, – on on his um, uh, web- webinar last week. Um, yeah, that's all I have to add on that.
4: Well, which brings to I mean this this uh, argument has been ro- rotating, has been circling around for the longest time, but nobody seems to pay much mind to it. Nobody seems to take it seriously. Is that another subject that was brought up in that uh, video that Nancy sent me? The fact that the old Euclidean model of the universe sees the universe as this very intricate, very complex mechanism, with the functional word being mechanism that it's a, it's it's dead like a watch or a clock, and it's it's just very smartly designed, but it's if essentially it's just a it's a, just a lump of dead matter. Working together to look very smart, look very complex, but that's all it is that that's the Euclidean model where the universe is just a complex mechanism where the truth is otherwise. The truth is the universe is a living being it's not a, it's not a mechanism, it's not a clock made of gears and winding and all that no we have been jipped, we have been fooled into believing. That the the universe is just a dead mechanism that's just winding itself to until the death of entropy, and then it off is off because that's it. It's everything's dead. There's no more energy. No, we have been sold that. We remember it's it's like I I know I sound very repetitive, but it bears repeating. I bring always bring up the subject of. The mentality of the, of the bedroom people, as opposed to the mentality of the present day human, the present day human still believes and they still worship death. And they're always focusing on, on dead things, whereas the bedrooms never f- focused on, de- on death because they accepted that there was eternal life in nature and that you leave this body and you come back in another life, in another body. So there is no death. But we were sold. We we've been moved into an a, a different direction where everything's dead, and it's just it's a miracle that we're even functioning at all because you know trees are dead and rocks are dead and every everything is dead and it's just just a miracle that we have we have the ability to think, and we use it to say very stupid things, <laughs> but that's uh, they brought up a valid point. Stop interpreting the universe as a as some kind of fancy mechanism. It is not a fancy mechanism. It is a living thing, because first off, it's like they're saying ninety percent of the universe is plasma. What is plasma if it's not energy? Well, living energy. Because that this is another subject that Nancy has brought up so many times. It's like somebody please. Answer the question, what is energy anyway? <laughs> they, they tell you what it does. They tell you what it doesn't do. They tell you that you, can, uh, you can't you can destroy it and you can't create it. You can only transmute it, change it in form. Okay, thank you for giving me that information. But what is it? Nobody tells you. What is it? Do you have a, does somebody have a like a super complete, concise answer? They have plasma. (laughs) (laughs) You (laughs) you, you know, but it it gets even,
0: you know, I mean, okay. When I did that remote view, now I'm looking at the pictures you guys are looking at, I'm hoping, the ones where you see the, the security camera, you know, having all this. But think of me underneath the explosion, it's 200 miles away from Shunga. Uh, so I'm underneath the, the explosion, right? And that was a mistake in the remote viewing, the way that I programmed it. I said, you know, take me to where? Well, they did, right on underneath the dang thing. So then I, I racked out of the remote and I said, okay, let's do this again. <laughs> let me Let me get away from it so I'm not engaged in it so that I can see what's happening. And so I'm there now. Even farther away than the in the in that picture, the fourth picture, I'm farther away and looking back at what's happening, all right and I'm not on the ground anymore. I am suspended in midair, easy to do in a remote, okay, so I'm looking at this thing. no, I take it back, I was on the ground, my feet are on the shungite oh, interesting, okay, anyway, big field is a big big field, but i'm I'm looking at this thing, and i'm When you're in a remote, time is your yours to control, and so you can stop time, stop the projection. Let's say and reverse it and go back. And I was doing that in order to try to find the source of this blue plasma. And what happened was the okay, so it stops the the explosion. You know, now becomes a blue ball again. It starts moving away from me and as, as this is happening I kind of look more often to the distance and I honestly thought I was going to see some kind of an ET ship out there and instead what I saw was a face the whole sky opened up into this face and it was a male face and it, I said at the time, if I had to name what I was looking at, I would say it was the face of God. So I knew that whatever had happened had not been within the concept of a mechanical universe. That thought one of the key key rules of cosmic reality is, you know, anything that's coincidence or synchronicities it's thought and action you cannot have an event without a thought behind it so then i'm looking at this and i'm realizing okay so somebody thought this into existence but it didn't correlate with any real science that i knew it wasn't a comet It wasn't a meteorite it was like a plasma ball and it didn't do any damage and we had this huge upgrade in the Shanghai right after it. But the most important thing was, you know, the statistical numbers that would be there to say that a meteorite strike that happened 2.5 million years ago has been followed by another strike over the same 800 square miles, 1,000 kilometers square miles. The, what are the same. Chances <laughs> you don't, I can't even imagine it, you know. So now I'm looking at it and I'm saying, okay, so, w- w- yes, there's been an upgrade, not just in the energetic, energetic, I mean, the energetic uh, movements of the Shanghai because of this, that's creating a greater field. It's a sentient being. It's, it's, it's sentience has come up. I think if you you just start, if we start working with Shanghai even more, we're going to find that it's going to connect us to information. Because, again, part of what Farrell was saying, again, synchronicities. Farrell says something, it trips something in my mind. And I go, you know, yes, he drops clues. And some of us do pick up on it. We just don't write books and he doesn't listen to cosmic reality. (laughs) because it's we're all in it together and where did the first clue come from the first clue came from david bohm and tesla they put that out there time doesn't exist and then you know somebody gets to the same frequency the same harmonic (laughs) um and boom all of a sudden you're getting the same information and you think oh I must have got this from the cosmos maybe you got it from a human being put it out there in the collective consciousness of human beings if you're not on the Shanghai bandwagon you might want to be because it just gets more magical and more magical as we go along oh, but sure. I did I did want to share that with you guys because to me it was like oh wow and I love looking at these pictures I still got them up on my screen that was such a magical time And well, and then we turned into the nightmare of COVID. (laughs) You know, getting out of the old world is uh, not as easy as it sounded. The end of the old world. Well, that old world is still hanging around, giving us grief. You have been listening to Radio 5G, a production of CosmicReality.com. Thank you for listening.